chapter 42. Uh, Isaiah's kind of in the middle of the, the Bible. When it pops up on the screen, you've no idea where it comes from, but if you have an um, old-fashioned version like this, uh, paper and ink, then um, that's where to find it. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and all who live in them. Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices like the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and hills and dry up all the vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Hear, you deaf. Look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot in Israel to be the plunderers? 
Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways, they did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames. Yet they did not understand, it consumed them. But they did not take heart. It's an inspiring chapter. I want us to particularly think of of verse 4, the... The sentence starts halfway through, so just at the end of verse 3, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. One of the things I love to hear about and love to, to hear about again and again is, is just how the gospel comes to people and saves them. It rescues them. Isaiah, the, uh, the prophet, is, this is in one of the cycle of what are called the servant songs in the second part of Isaiah. Songs about, about a person. It's, it's Israel personified, but it's more. It's a prophetic utterance of the one who will come, Jesus, the true servant of God. It's called Suffering Servant because in the servant uh, character that we see represented and, and embodied, incarnated in Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus is the full serving one, the one who, who fulfills the plans and purposes to a T without any compromise, without any substandard nature. The true servant that fulfills all of God's promises. But that isn't a victorious, easy, simple way. It's a way of suffering. It's a way that is a hard road, but it's a road worth walking. And implicit in, in the servant songs, Isaiah 53 is one of those uh, amazing uh, chapters that's, that, that like, the veil between the Old Testament and the New is, is paper thin. It's almost invisible paper when we hear of, of the picture of Isaiah painting of Jesus. But in it, we, we hear so much of, of the heartbeat of God for those yet beyond the knowledge of him. For the servant, for Isaiah, he comes in the stage of Israel's history, kind of 6th, 7th century B.C., and it's a time of decline. It's a time where the nation had been grand and glorious and people had looked to Israel and seen their wealth and their fame and their peace and their status and their culture and they marveled at it. But over the course of some decades, of a few generations, the people had forgotten their first love, their commitment to be covenant people, people of word and spirit, and had strayed and had started to follow idols, worship false gods, sit loose to caring for the poor. And in that national decline, the rising of a prophetic voice that says there's a new way, the way of the Lord of old. I will do a new thing, a new song of praise. That where the people of God have failed to be the light to the nations, to be that passionate people who carry the lamp of good news around the world, I will bring one who will do it. See, the intention of God, even in in, uh, chapter 42, verse 4, till he establishes justice on earth. I don't know if you've seen any of those medieval maps. Have you seen them? They're they're sort of like a circular thing. And and they kind of, I mean, I'm really impressed. I'm rubbish at art. 
But if I had to draw a map of the world, I wouldn't be far from this kind of slightly bizarre kind of drawings. If you don't know what I mean, just Google uh, old maps of the world. And, and it's kind of like a round thing. And right in the center is Jerusalem and um, Israel, because that's where they thought the center of the world was. And then everything is sort of a little bit more detailed around it. And then it gets a little bit more vague as you get to the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And where we are now is kind of like the end of the world where people fall off, you know, it was flat, and you just dropped off the edge. They didn't know about America, and they didn't know about the Pacific, and they didn't know really about anything beyond the Sahara, and they didn't really know anything beyond the mountain ranges that were impassable. That was the known world. And yet, right in Isaiah's prophetic word, the word will be sent to the far-flung corners to the places that the map cartographers hadn't yet stepped or envisaged or imagined and no one had sailed. And, and maybe there were kind of strange stories of a land out there, but God's heart was already for out there to go. And that even, as it says in verse 4, in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This clarion call, this, this reminder in Isaiah, but it's not just the only place. All the way through the Old and all the way through this, the New Testament, this reminder that God's heart is for those who are beyond, those who don't know, those who God loves. Someone said it like this, God loves people. God's heart is to reach out, to look for those who do not know him and to bring change to a world that is fallen. God's heartbeat is for the lost. He loves them to the point of having given the very best for them, his son. His eyes are constantly searching for the lost. Wow. When we think of, of that, that, that impelling love, compelling love of God for the lost, it blows my mind. I'm reading some books at the moment about that. I'm reading a book uh, that Joy gave me. I've been reading to read it for a long time. Fat Cats and Smackheads, it's called. Great title. Fat Cats being the wealthy and Smackheads being the drug addicts. It's written by Chris Duffett, who's a heart for the lost. And I've got a big book that I bought at Fresh Streams called The Mission of God. And, I, and Marilyn said, oh, goodness me, it's like a doorstop. <laughs> it is. Or it's something like a big wedge of cheese you'd find in Paxford and Whitfield. I mean, it is substantial. You put your back out lifting it up. The mission of God. And in really, in a sense, these books are just commentaries on the Word. Insights into that compelling mission of God. I love hearing stories of how that love reaches people. This morning we heard of, of Sally's grandfather. Phil, can I, can I borrow Because I'm going to ask you to narrate a few things. Oh. On the, you know, I, I put people on the spot. Just tell us what Sally said, and, and, uh, and then I'm going to ask you another one. Here, I'll give you this one, just for the benefit of our recording. Okay. Sally, um, uh, you don't know who she is, part of our church, and a gifted worship leader. And she emailed Edward and I in the week, and she said, I need some prayer backing um, because I'm going to see my granddad. Um, her husband's granddad had recently died. And he was a great believer in Jesus, and they had an amazing service, and the gospel, good news about Jesus was preached, and she suddenly had a pang in her heart that her granddad didn't know Jesus. And she's put off and put off, actually just going and plainly speaking to him about Jesus, because it's kind of awkward sometimes in your own families. 
And she said, just would you back us in prayer? I'm going to see him. So we pledged to pray for her. And she went and she shared just simply with her granddad the love that Jesus has for him, that Jesus died to forgive his sins. And he's never expressed an interest, but he responded really well. It's as if the Lord had already prepared his heart for that. And he made a response to Jesus, asked Jesus to forgive him and uh, made a commitment to Jesus. And uh, Sally was just over the moon. Uh, but it was really brave, wasn't it? So that was the story. If you don't know Sally, she's really timid. <laughs> you know, she gets really anxious. Not in a bad way, but, you know, she, she's very soft-hearted. And this was a big thing for her, wasn't it? Big thing for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. There are people on our hearts, I believe, that if we felt we had enough courage, we'd go and just speak really plainly. Sometimes I feel that when I'm preaching. I would, I would, you know, we try and make things sort of, we package it in a way that people will understand and, you know, think is attractive, and especially at Christmas. How do you tell that same message again and again? I just want to tell people, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's waiting for you to come to him. It's really simple. He's just waiting for you to turn around. But sometimes we don't feel that we can do it that bluntly, can we? But maybe we do. Well, I could stop now, Phil. There you go. You've done oh, it. No. Right? Oh. <laughs> no, no. Okay. You've done my message now. Oh, okay. Really bluntly. Okay. Is that all you wanted me for? No. Oh, okay. Just hang on a minute. So, uh, Sally's granddad. Um, I, was, I love how Jesus rescues people, that his heart is for the lost. I had the privilege of leading someone to faith in the autumn, a guy called Kyle. I, I told this story at a church vision meeting. And um, he's someone I've known from the time that I was in my church in Leicester. He was, um, uh, worked at the, the gym. Uh, you can all tell that I go to the gym and I'm really fit and muscly and all. <laughs> I go under duress and probably think it's good for me. And uh, I kind of got to know him. We had a few games of badminton. He used to call me Vic for vicar because he couldn't understand <laughs> what I did. Um, but we've just kind of kept in touch and over Facebook and just a, a very sporadically. And he went quiet for a long time. And just in the summer, I saw that he, he started to post things about spirituality and enlightenment and um, going on a, you know, aware that there's more to life than just the physical and the, the touch the touched and the, the, the measurable. And I met up with him in, in a pub. Uh, I've not seen him for six, seven years, and we just talked about Jesus, and God had done a work in him. He'd gone through, he'd, his girlfriend had left him you know, years before. He got into drugs. He'd, got into, um, he'd left his job as a fitness instructor. He'd not got anywhere to live. He'd broken up with his long-term girlfriend, and his life had collapsed, but he'd begun to find his feet again. And he realized there was more to life than just that which he knew. And I, I just, in the bar over a pint, kind of said, talked about Jesus and said, can I become a Christian? I said, hang on a minute. I don't know if you know enough about this. So I was kind of like, really, did he just ask me that? So we talked for an hour and a half, and he became a Christian. Sally's granddad, Kyle, 29, from a broken, mixed-up background, from a traveling family, essentially. Phil, this morning, was, was uh, telling us about your travels last weekend in North Africa. Uh, can you just tell us briefly about... I don't want to say too much, because we're going to share next Sunday night. Well, you shared it this morning. Oh, okay. So just tell us that story again. Okay. Um, I, I should have brought my notes, because um, it's, uh, it's remembering it. But um, we were told the story of a man... Um, we, Karis uh, and I, for those of you who don't know, were on a trip with Open Doors, who served the persecuted 
church. And uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking because we were on our own. I've been on trips before when I've been with teams, but it's a little bit vulnerable when it's just you and your daughter, and I feel quite responsible uh, for my daughter. <laughs> I felt responsible for you, Karis. Did you feel responsible for me? Oh, okay. She told me before you went, pray for me, I've got to look after my dad. He's a right Did liability. You? Oh, <laughs> sweetheart. Anyway, we were, we were doing what was called a delivery trip. So we're taking Christian literature of various kinds into a country where it's illegal to print Christian literature, uh, where you're only allowed to have one Bible, where if you witness to your faith, you can be put in prison for two years. And so it was a joy to go, and we'll tell a few more stories next week. But uh, we heard this one story of a man who was, um, he was brought up in part of the country where there was no witness to Jesus and in fact, it was quite an area where there were very extreme Muslims living. And uh, it was kind of a place where people got radicalized. And they attempted uh, in his mosque uh, to radicalize him. But he, one of the parts of the story is he had uh, a dream. And this is occurring across the world, which is the most amazing thing. People are dreaming about Jesus. Jesus they've never heard is of appearing. Jesus. No, yeah. they've never heard of him, but he's appearing to them in dreams. And in this dream, this man, who didn't know who he was, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, he wanted to find out who this man was. And he heard on a radio a message about Jesus, but he was also witnessed to by a visitor from France. In fact, from, where was he from? Monte Carlo or something. That he was visiting this country, which is a French, once a French colony. Um, and uh, so he witnessed to him, and he became a Christian. But he thought he was the only Christian in this country. And so when he saw in a library uh, a pamphlet, which was, um, it, it had been written by the sort of more radical end of it, the Islamic people in his town, village, city. And it said, uh, Christians are growing like fungus in another place in the country. And he suddenly realized he was not the only Christian. And so he said he wasn't going to work that day. And he traveled 150 kilometers by train, and then he walked 30 kilometers on foot looking for this church. And uh, he kept asking people, and some didn't know, and then someone pointed him to this house, and he knocked on the house, and the person who answered the door was the person that we met. So it's a first-hand story. And he said, is this a church? And the man who answered the door said, no. <laughs> because he was worried whether it was genuine, whether he was a secret police or whether he was, you know, maybe a jihadist or whatever. And then they got talking, why do you want to know? And he shared his story. He shared that he'd seen this vision about of Jesus, how he'd come to faith in Jesus. And then they embraced. And they said he just cried, tears pouring down their eyes because he'd never met another Christian. This is wonderful, isn't it? Thank you, Phil. Sally's granddad and Kyle and a man unnamed in North Africa. And I'm reminded of a lady in, in a village in, in Andhra Pradesh in India. She lived in a village called Nalgonda. She was a Brahmin and they had no money. And uh, the husband had left her and her children and she worshipped uh, at the temples, and there was no hope. 
So she'd bought poison and she was going to poison herself and her children to end it. But one of the one of our brothers in one of the churches in a little village in a place you wouldn't find on a map heard God say, I want you to go to Nalgonda to this house and he'd never been and it, it sounds remarkable but this happens if you read the story of, of Acts in chapter 10 or of Ananias being sent to meet Saul that, that God directed him said you need to go to this place and go now so he went now and he walked for 20 kilometers and got to the door and knocked on the door and the, the lady answered it and he said the living God has sent me to you to pray for you. And she was astonished. And she didn't kill herself. But she came to his church and she came to faith. Because the Lord loved her. Why do I tell you about Sally's grandfather and about Kyle and about this brother in North Africa and this lady in Nalgonda? Because... He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. That caught up in the plans and purposes of God is this heart, this ever-present rhythm, this reminder, this drumbeat, this clarion call, this melody, however we would phrase it, that the Lord reaches out to those who don't yet know him. That in this, this passage of the servant, the servant of the Lord, this description that the prophet writes that, that kind of should be the people of God of Israel, but, but they fail and they've turned aside and they've neglected their, their call and their hope. And he, he prophetically looks to one who will come, another one who will fulfill perfectly but now we see in Jesus that this is accomplished and we understand that the call of, of every follower of Jesus is to commit single-mindedly to the mission that has been established and is ongoing, that calls us beyond ourselves, that this isn't a joke, this isn't an optional lecture, this is what it's about, to call us out into deeper waters. The whole church is there for mission. And it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's what we're about. That the servant who is faithful to God, and our desire is to be faithful to God as his people, is to emphasize this, this link that the whole church is there for mission. I love the story of a, a guy called Bishop Azariah. He was the first Indian bishop of the Church of South India. And when people in his diocese were confirmed, that's when they confirmed their baptismal vows, he made them place their hands on their heads when they're being confirmed and say these words in front of the bishop, and that's a big thing. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's what they were confirmed into, 
A reminder of their baptismal promise to say, I am in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And before we're baptized, go into the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is for the whole church. We're his servants, his people. I think too, Isaiah 42 and the example and the, the message of the, of the servant, the suffering servant, is related to the task of the servant and, and of mission to the world. Have you ever seen uh, the city of Petra? Some may have visited it in southeast Jordan. If you've not, it's that place that's that magnificent city carved into rock, red rock. Yeah? I should have put a picture on the screen, I'm sorry. It's, it's a place that is marvelous. It's been lots of films because it's like this big vertical-sided canyon and you, you go on the sort of floor and, and there, cut into the rock, is this incredible, incredible city. Towering rocks. It looks like a scene from Walt Disney or, or from Indiana Jones. And they are carved straight from the rock, the rock being soft multicolored, like um, this amazing place. And, and, and to get there, you approach it through a long and narrow gorge, and it's kind of, you have to go through it to get to it. There's no way around it because of the mountains. Now, it's, it's created by a group of people called the Nabataeans of ancient times, and they settled there, and they, they made an easy living by attacking uh, the caravans, the trade caravans as they passed by. Um, but they'd leave them by, leave them uh, be if they paid their tax and extortion. You can pass by if you pay us money. If you don't, we'll attack you. And there's no reason why they shouldn't have continued to prosper and make money and become even greater. Apart from one simple solution the caravans came up with. They changed their route. We don't need to go that way. Just go a different way. Petra wasn't ruined by an invader. It died because the world passed it by. And now it stands as a marvel of nature and the ingenuity of man, beautiful but dead. A great edifice of structure, but uninhabited. Let the churches of Christ take warning. Let us take warning. That the risen Lord commanded, go and make disciples. If we simply reside in our hideouts, we'll be petrified. And the Lord will look elsewhere for his missioners and evangelists. And those who will say, yes, here I am. I think thirdly, we learn from this dear servant... It's the way of the servant. How are we to carry out this mission, whether it's here or elsewhere? Well, it's not really as, as loudmouth kind of propagandists, but actually the suffering servant reminds us that the way of mission, the way and the heart of God in the suffering servant, embodied, incarnational, amongst, with, embodied, is actually the costly way of serving and suffering. It's not 
putting really on a big spectacular event, though they aren't bad. But it's about the getting involved and getting the hands dirty and alongside. It's about being willing to lay down a life for him, to go where he sends. I read um, a long time ago uh, uh, the, the story of, um, of Brother Yun. Remember that? Heavenly Man, it's a book. And I, I remembered it. It's, it's about a, a man who becomes a Christian in China and is persecuted heavily, and, and it's about his story. And I, I just want to read just a few excerpts from early on in the book to remind that you know, this man who's led many people often in prison to faith. It wasn't all easy. He says, in response, the authorities in China launched a long-running bird hunting season. They cannot stand those free birds who refuse to come under their control. Sometimes they manage to trap birds and cage them behind iron bars. But even those within those cages, the free birds have laid eggs and have reproduced, winning many souls to the Lord in prison. At this time, I started my career of fleeing evangelism. <laughs> I like that. That is, we preached the gospel and then had to flee from one place to another, being pursued by the police, like Jesus had to do and told his followers to do. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Uh, and goes on about their struggles and, and the difficulties that they, that they um, experienced. He says, uh, a friend and I took the bus towards Wayang County in the north. We passed through many bus stations displaying posters with my name and picture, announcing that I was a dangerous criminal, a counter-revolutionary. The posters accused me of being a leader of an anti-government organization that stirred people up against state religious policies. At one time, we had to change our bus. I was wearing sunglasses to hide my eyes. Many people at the station had seen my picture and overheard them discussing it. One man said, the person who catches this fugitive will receive a great reward from the government. My wife and I had an unspoken joy inside because we knew the Lord was our refuge. We felt so honored to be wanted as criminals as we walked hand in hand together for Jesus. It's a great honor to be humiliated for the name of the Lord. We found the Christians in Henan were totally different from those in Hubei. They were willing to risk their lives for us and welcome us as criminals into their homes. The more tense the situation, the more they earnestly desired to show their love and respect to God's servants. Onward we marched. A meeting was arranged at a certain village. We were led by the Holy Spirit to, pillar, to, to sing a powerful song. We don't sing this at all in England. The song was called Martyrs for the Lord's. And it goes, I don't know the tune, but the lyrics are this. From the time the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, the followers of the Lord had willingly sacrificed themselves. Tens of thousands have died that the gospel might prosper. As such, they have obtained the crown of life. And the chorus, to be a martyr for the Lord, to be a martyr for the Lord, I am willing to die gloriously for the Lord. Maybe I'll write to Matt Redman being a little cheeky. But this is characterized in the church. Polycarp, great name. It wasn't a fish, he was a, a saint. Polycarp lived uh, in the beginning of the second century and was a disciple of John, John the Beloved, John the Apostle of Jesus. 
And he was denounced by the Roman authorities and arrested and tried on the charge of being a Christian. When the, the, the judge urged him to save his life by cursing Christ, he replied this, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The magistrate was, a reluctant, was reluctant to kill a gentle old man, but he had no choice. He was sentenced to be burned, and as he waited for the fire to be lighted, he prayed, Lord God Almighty, Father of your blessed and beloved child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and hosts of all creation, the whole race of the upright who live in your presence, I bless you that you have thought me worthy to this day and to this hour to be numbered among the martyrs and share in the cup of Christ for the resurrection to eternal life. Wow. That we are committed to the vision and the mission of God. And the suffering servant reminds us that it's all of our job. The suffering servant reminds us to go, that it's on the heart of God. The suffering servant reminds us very much that this is the task of a servant. This is the task of the church to go, to not just be comfortable. Allow me to illustrate in closing. If visitors visit the Kremlin in Moscow, Moscow and after viewing its many churches, there are two exhibits that can be seen. One is an enormous bell, an enormous bell. And it was intended to be placed in the bell tower of a church, but it couldn't be lifted because it was too heavy. And it transpired that a fire broke out in the building in which the bell was housed and the heat cracked it. So now it just rests in the open air, a useless curiosity, the bell that has never been told. And nearby it stands a cannon, so immense and so magnificent and so grand in its appearance. And the cannonballs are so huge that they cannot fire them. An ordinary explosive charge would make the cannonball merely plop out of the, the barrel. A charge enough, big enough to expel the cannonball properly would actually explode the whole cannon, blow the gun to pieces. So there it stands, polished and brassy, the cannon that's never been fired next to the bell that's never been rung. Sometimes... Sometimes we think about mission and the mission of God, if only it was bigger and better and more glorious and more sparkly. But maybe it will just become an object to be viewed and maybe it will never work. It seems to be from the example of Scripture again and again and again and again that God's heart to reach the islands and bring truth to all people is borne out by those who will say, I will follow, I will step out. I hear that invitation to come and to go. Like the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord who says, here I am. I'll play my part. It's who we are as a people. It's who each one of us is called to be. And maybe the ministry time is actually is responding and laying a hand on our head and saying, woe to me if I don't play my part.
Lydia, Karen. Let's, um, let's close our eyes if you'd like. We're not going to run up and tickle you under the chin. We're, we're just closing our eyes to think, to reflect, to not be distracted. Uh, we, t- we spoke of four, four stories of Sally's grandfather and Kyle and the North African brother and the lady in, in India, the hin- ex-Hindu. And I rejoice in their stories, but I, I wanted to tell them to remind us that, that God meets real people, calls out by name to people specifically and says, come, come into life. Come into relationship with me. Come and leave your old life and all the mess-ups and all the hang-ups and all the brokenness and all the regret. And, and you truly, right in the midst of wherever you are, can meet me and start again. We call it eternal life, but eternal begins today. Today is a day of salvation. Jesus, you know our name. You've always known us. You've always been close. And as I've spoken of you, I know that to each one of us, that reminder, he is here gift of life on offer. Simply say, yes, please, Jesus. I'm sorry, so sorry for for it taking until now. Would you forgive me? Would you let me begin again? Would you wipe all my sin away and heal me up from the inside out? Please fill me with your wonderful Holy Spirit. Let my life with you, Father, begin now. And for 